Let's cultivate our motivation. So of course we aim to have compassion and love for all beings. But then there are those beings who harm us or who harm the people that we care about or who aid our enemies. And we don't like those people at all. And we may find that sometimes our mind uh, thinking, hmm, be nice if they got a taste of their own medicine. If they had to experience all the troubles and problems that they're making other people experience through their bad behavior. So it's very easy to have that wish for them and to experience harm. And if that goes on long enough, we may actually develop the intention to harm them ourselves and then rejoice after we do it. So that kind of mind happens a lot in samsara, especially if we're competing with people or people have harmed us or whatever. And yet that kind of attitude towards other sentient beings, no matter how they've acted towards us, doesn't get us anywhere on the path to full awakening but it does create a lot of negative karma that will lead us to an unfortunate rebirth. So it's important to catch that mind when it arises and not let it ruminate in our mind. but to apply one of the many antidotes to anger, free our mind from that thought, and then cultivate compassion for that person. Because remember, to attain Buddhahood, we must cultivate bodhicitta, develop, actualize bodhicitta. And that depends on having great love and great compassion for each and every sentient being, omitting not even one. So thinking about that can really uh, spur us to change our attitude towards that person or those people. And when we do, of course, 
we feel happier here and now. We have better relationships here and now. We avoid creating destructive karma. And we progress on our path developing bodhicitta and attaining full awakening. So let's keep that in mind, especially in these times when there's so much discord in society and may we remain firm in seeing the value of compassion and cultivating it and making that compassion and bodhicitta our motivation for sharing the Dharma this evening. So I want to uh, build on that meditation a little bit. Um, As we know, the president announced late last night that he had COVID-19, and today he's been hospitalized. And uh, one of our supporters wrote to me today, and he said, please, in capital letters, do a BBC about schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Got to practice my German. It's a good German word to know. Schadenfreude. Which means, yeah, rejoicing and feeling delight at somebody else's misery and misfortune. Okay, so when this friend, Abby friend, wrote and asked me to do that, I realized that um, my next day to do a BBC wasn't for 10 days. And by then, who knows what the news cycle will be. We will probably have 10 more crises between now and then and have forgotten all about uh, what's happened today. So I thought I'd better talk about this tonight while it's fresh. And while some people may be feeling that, okay? Because it's not exactly like the president is popular with all of uh, the country. Sure, with his base, he's very popular, but he's not popular with a good chunk of the country. And so, uh, especially seeing that he has um, not had the ability to take leadership to uh, guide the country and protect the country in the face of the pandemic, such that over 207,000 Americans have died so far. And so a lot of people are upset by this, 
And then when the news comes that he himself got COVID, then it's very easy to say, now he gets to see what it's like. Except, of course, he'll have better treatment. He's at Walter Reed Hospital. He'll have the best doctors. He already got the infusion of antibodies. He isn't some uh, ordinary American who would probably still be at home with a fever or even if they had gone to the doctor, been told to go home and, you know, just come back when when you can't breathe at all and your lungs are co- collapsing. And then, you know, we may put you on a ventilator if we have a spare one, but otherwise, good luck. Yeah. So it, it's very easy to say, you know, like, oh, we hope he suffers after what he's done and, you know, how arrogant he is and on and on and on. You know what I mean? And this thought may have come in into some of our minds as well. So uh, to watch, you know, that schadenfreude, schadenfreude, uh, you know, and and think, you know, because when I wish somebody else harm or rejoice in the harm that they have, what kind of person does that make me? Because I'm wanting them to have harm because they don't care about other people and they're insensitive and they use people and they ignore this and they do this and they do this and they do that. But as soon as my mind is imbued with hatred and rejoices at other people's suffering, then what kind of human being am I? Yeah. I'm not any better than the person that I'm wishing harm on because their behavior is so awful. And so having that mind that rejoices at other people's problems or misfortune or whatever, it, um, when we sit and go, it may feel good for an instant because we think, oh, now I'm getting my revenge. But how do we really feel about ourselves deep inside when we feel the light when somebody gets COVID or somebody is shot or somebody, you know, has some misfortune? Mm -hmm. And especially being a Dharma practitioner, uh, having that attitude just doesn't get us anywhere uh, in terms of what we want to uh, accomplish in this precious human life. Because yeah? with the precious human life, we want to, you know, bring ourselves further along the path. And this, and 
Schadenfreude takes us backwards. Yeah. So it's something to be quite careful about. Yeah. In terms of antidotes, because this this mind is very much based on anger, hatred, could be jealousy and envy. We want somebody to be harmed because we're jealous of them. It could be because we're competing with somebody and they are better than us and we can't stand that. So our pride is peaked and we want revenge. Yeah. So to really notice what kind of mind is behind that schadenfreude, what kind of mind is behind that, apply the appropriate antidote. And then instead of building up this straw figure that's the embodiment of evil, see that this is simply a sentient being who wants happiness and doesn't want suffering, just like me. And also, this sentient being is a, is a being in samsara, which means that they're suffering age, sickness, uh, I mean birth, aging, sickness, and death. So why should I wish them harm when harm is going to come to them naturally simply because they're a being in samsara? Yeah, why should I rejoice even if they die, if they're going to die anyway because they're being in samsara? So Shanti Deva asked this in engaging in the Bodhisattva's deeds. I forget what chapter, but he says it's it's really like uh, it's ridiculous because somebody's going to die anyway. They're going to suffer anyway in samsara. So why should we like take a delight in it and wish that upon them? It doesn't make any sense, and to spend our time and energy causing them harm, when harm is going to come to them anyway because they're a samsaric being. Okay? So to, to really, you know, have that um, introspective awareness in our mind and see the schadenfreude and the whatever uh, affliction lay behind it, and then counteract those and substitute it with compassion and bodhicitta. So I have to confess that I felt a moment of happiness when I heard the news. And of course, I know it's not a good thought to have, but when I look at it and analyze it, why did I feel that way? I see that it it's because I thought, oh, now he won't be able to steal the election. <laughs> so I don't think it's so much that I want him to suffer and I want him to die. I just want him to be stopped from mm -hmm. doing something that could be incredibly destructive yeah. to our country. And it really does look like that might happen. Yeah. So yeah. then 
I mean, what would you say about that? <laughs> well, it seems like wanting to stop somebody who is uh, doing something that's harmful to the country would be good, but why stop them by causing them harm and misery and rejoicing at it? You know, there's got to be other ways to stop beings out of compassion because they're so confused instead of out of ill will and malice because, you know, we can't stand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, is rejoicing then a neutral mental state that depends on its object to become virtuous? If Yeah, yeah. You can rejoice at uh, goodness. We can rejoice at negativity. Yeah, so depends what the object is and, of course, the intensity of the rejoicing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it depends also on what mental state is feeding that kind of rejoicing. Uh, yeah, well, rejoicing itself, I don't think you ever rejoice for a neutral thing. It can, in other words, it can go either way, like investigation and analysis. It can be something non-virtuous, it can be something virtuous, depending on the object and how it's done and so forth. So if we're thinking about someone we see causing harm and instead of saying, oh, I, I, you know, good, something has happened to them, just the thought of karma means that something negative is going to happen, happen to them to in the them future or Ooh. they're in samsara, so they're going to suffer. Isn't that also a little bit of schadenfreude? It, it depends on how you say it to yourself. If you say... Oh, yeah, karma, they're going to suffer next lifetime with, due to all the negative karma they're creating. Just you wait, buddy, and we'll see what happens to you. That's clearly, you know, nasty, isn't it? Okay. Whereas just uh, a mind that is thinking about things in terms of karma and saying, wow, here's a person who's creating a lot of negative karma, and they'll suffer a lot in the future. And I've got to look at their actions and see to what extent do I do the same actions, and to what extent do I have the same rotten motivations behind my actions. Yeah, so we, instead of rejoicing that you know, they'll experience the negative karma in their future life and in the form of great suffering to really see what they're doing and and learn from their mistakes so that we don't do the same thing. Yeah, if we do that, then we're not creating that kind of negativity. It's not Schadenfreude, yeah, or however you say it. Yeah, Schadenfreude. Okay, I'm going to dream Schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's going to depend on 
on those kinds of factors. Uh huh. I read uh, even in a headline of a German major main uh, newspaper that uh, now his karma is ripening, so to say. <laughs> but it's very short-sighted, uh, as you kind of pointed in that direction, because. Um, we are so interconnected and whatever happens to another person will affect others as well. So we rather wish this person well because we will benefit from it in the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Actually, when I um, have difficulty with somebody's actions that I see causing a lot of harm, specifically the same purpose person we're talking about here i i try to think about the future suffering that they're going to experience as a way to develop compassion for them mm -hmm. actually yeah and so right. it can be used as a positive thing to see that yeah okay so that fits in to our topic of karma we're in the middle of the karma chapter because what we rejoice in is creating karma. You know, whatever we rejoice. If we rejoice in negative actions, we create non-virtue. If we rejoice in virtuous actions, we create virtue. Okay? So it's actually, we have to be quite um, aware about what we rejoice at. Yeah? Because it's so easy when you read the news or when you uh, hear about what other family members are doing or, you know, just catch up on the local gossip to um, kind of go, <laughs> when somebody you don't like, yeah, gets a taste of their own medicine. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, That's why I like that verse in um, in our Posada, our the monastic confession, where it talks about uh, being uh, like a bee landing on a flower. It just takes the nectar and then it flies away. It doesn't uh, get involved with all the politics inside the flower. <laughs> so. Similarly, you know, when we hear about other people, just to listen, keep a neutral mind, or like you were saying, transform it into virtue. And, uh, and basically, uh, one of the things that helps us to do that is to mind our own business. Yeah, because it's so easy. You know, that verse talks about focusing on what we're doing instead of what others have done or left undone. But it's so easy to look at others' actions and what they've done that they shouldn't have done and what they didn't do that they should have done and, and so on. Yeah. So, you know, always I find it very, very helpful when I see people doing all sorts of things to use it as 
a uh, alarm rim lesson, so to speak, for myself to remind myself, yeah, don't act like this because this is what it's like. Or when I see people doing something really wonderful to say, I rejoice and, you know, I have to remember how this person's acting because it's, it's a good example for me. Okay. So we're on page 273. And the chapter we're doing is talking about the results of karma. So you can uh, look in here and, uh, you know, Schrödinger can either be a, a mental um, action, you know, a mental path of karma. Uh, it would be malice or ill will, or it could uh, come out as, you know, in words expressing our delight and joy at somebody else's suffering. Yeah. So Nagarjuna outlines the effects that will occur in future lives by engaging in harmful actions now. Some of these results may also occur in this life, okay? So we don't know whether they'll ripen now or whether they'll ripen later. It could be either. If they were uh, very strong karmas, they could, they could easily uh, ripen in this life. So uh, Nagarjuna is speaking in uh, Precious Garland here. Due to killing, one is born with a short lifespan. Uh, due to violence, one encounters much torment. Due to stealing, one becomes impoverished. Due to adultery, one has enemies. Okay, so you can see how the, um, the result in the future life, it's so much similar to the cause that we created in this life. Yeah, it's really like a boomerang effect. We act in that way to somebody else. It flies right back at us. It's like the wheel of sharp weapons that, you know, in the text. Um, and it comes back for us to experience. So uh, when we see some living beings having a short life, people, you know, often ask, why do uh, babies or children who are so infinite, innocent, why do they get killed in wars? Why do they get cancer? Why are, do they not even make out, out of the womb because they're miscarried? So this has to do with previous life action. Of course, you know, don't say that to a parent who is not a Buddhist. Yeah. And even with a parent who is a Buddhist, be careful, okay? Because you always want to show sympathy and empathy for somebody who's grieving. But when we uh, ourselves seek to understand why this happens, then, you know, it's a result of killing, okay? Um, due to violence, one encounters much torment. That makes sense too, doesn't it? Yeah, if somebody, if you torture somebody, then 
Later on, you get tortured, some kind of torment. Stealing and depriving others of their possessions, then we are born impoverished where we have a dearth of possessions. And then due to adultery, one has enemies, yeah, because yeah, you're with somebody else's partner and then it creates a big hoopla with their partner, with children, with the society around. It's, it creates a big mess. And what's so interesting is that when people go outside of their own relationship or go with somebody who's in a relationship, yeah, they always think, I won't get caught. You know, this is just a little fling. It's some pleasure. We have it, you know, uh, uh, kind of, you know, we have our excuses all set out. Uh, we're very discreet about it. Nobody will find out. And so you think that until, of course, um, somebody finds out and somebody often finds out. I've talked to many people who they're uh, one of their parents, usually the father, sometimes the mother, was having an affair when they were a child. And, you know, they were a kid, but they knew something was going on. You know, but the parent probably thought, no, the kids don't notice. Okay. So it, it creates so much turmoil and uh, pain and hurt. But attachment is very strong, isn't it? Okay, now we get into the mental ones. By lying, one becomes reviled. Yeah, that happens even in this life. Yeah, you lie, and then, I mean, even right now, there was an article in the paper about um, people who are wondering if they're even getting the truth now about the president being ill. Is he really ill? Yeah, because, uh, you know, the White House and the president himself have so often twisted things. Um, some university just did a study and, and it, it came out that the president was the chief source of misinformation about COVID-19. Yeah, so if, if you uh, speak like that, then... There's the thing of like nobody, you say something and people are going, is that true or is that not true? Is he sick? Or, you know, then people speculate, well, it's actually because he wants to uh, postpone the election or it's, uh, you know, because he doesn't want to do another debate or there's all sorts of, uh, you know, conspiracy theories flying now, you know, that the, uh, that uh, actually the deep state gave him the coronavirus at the debate. Yeah. And, and so people no longer know what's true. And so when you, it's, what is that story? The boy who called wolf. Yeah. So it's really like that. If 
they are speaking the truth. Nobody really knows it, and, you know, people are quite skeptical. Yeah, and for a good reason, isn't it? I remember in, um, oh, I think it was the impeachment hearings. Yeah, do you remember Jim Jordan? He's one of the, from the House of Representatives. I forget which state. Yeah, but he made this on a big placard that he put in the House of Representatives. It said, um, liar, liar, pants on fire. And he said, that's what he learned in school as a little kid. You know, liar, liar, pants on fire. And he said, that's what this whole impeachment hearing is about. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, this is in the House of Representatives, the Congress of the United States of America. <laughs> yeah, that is supposed to be engaged in wisely guiding the country. Well, maybe it is good. Yeah, don't lie. Your pants will be on fire. Um, yeah, it's just practical advice. Uh, but... It, you know, you you can see just from these little ditties that we learn in school, uh, you know, that that's what happens when you lie. Nobody believes you, and nobody wants to go near because your pants are on fire. <laughs> okay. Through speaking divisively, one loses friends. Makes sense. We divide other people, so we are separated from friends. So when this happens, yeah, because I think, haven't we all had the, well, we've all had the experience of, you know, being madly in love with somebody and then they bail on us. Okay. So one loses friends. Or... Um, you know, just close friends we've had, then some small thing happens, and now they don't want to speak to us again. Okay, happens in families all the time. So it's a result of speaking divisively. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. In one Lombrim text, I saw this described, um, this uh, result similar to the cause, as loneliness. And I think that's something that plagues a lot of people. And for me, that was like a real slap in the face. Like, okay, yeah, pay attention to this. Yeah, and loneliness would really make sense. You divide other people. Yeah. And especially if it's, uh, you know, a Dharma teacher and a disciple, then it results in having difficulty meeting Dharma teachers and having a good relationship with them in future lives. So you don't want to create that karma. Okay. Okay. Um, due to speaking harshly, one hears unpleasant sounds. The boomerang comes back. From engaging in idle talk, one's words will be disregarded. Just like 
when somebody engages in a lot of idle talk now, we may be interested at first, so let's get the scoop on what other people are doing. Uh, but eventually it's like, you know, I don't really want to listen to this. Uh, I, I want to spend my time doing something else, not just, you know, and then the people, of course, um, you know, this was in the old days when people actually called each other on the telephone and not just sent verbal messages, uh, um, like a text message, you know, but the t what do you call them? But the, what we saw in Hong Kong, voice messages, yeah. And so you don't have a conversation. You send them a voice message. Then they reply immediately and send you a voice message. Then you reply immediately and send them another voice message. And it goes on and on. They won't talk to each other on the telephone. Uh, you know, they just have to send voice messages. Okay. So, um, you know, so in the, remember in the old days where there were telephones, and getting stuck on the telephone with somebody who just talked and talked and talked and talked. Or just even, you know, some you bump into somebody during the day and you just want to say hello, but they want to talk and talk and talk. It's so delightful being with those people, isn't it? Yeah. And you're trying to figure out how can you get out of this because you have something else you need to do. Okay, so one's words will be disregarded. Then covetousness, we're moving into the mental ones now. Covetousness destroys one's desired object, objects. So you covet, 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 crave, want. And then it results in what you're craving and wanting disintegrating you know it's like the power of your um, desire and coveting destroys the object malice is said to bestow fear okay so here the action and the result it's not like I covet somebody else's things and now people covet my stuff. He's saying, I covet somebody else's things. And then those things, you know, my own things get destroyed, okay, by the force of my covetousness. Or I have so much malice towards somebody else that then psychologically I assume they have that same level of malice towards me and so I feel fear. Okay. Arrogance. Uh, oh, no. Wrong uh, views lead to evil worldviews. So that one we just perpetuate. You have wrong views in one life. You just keep having them. And consuming intoxicants brings mental confusion. So certainly in this life, <laughs> you take intoxicants. You're confused. But in a future life, without even taking the intoxicants, you're born as a person who, who's quite confused and kind of can't get themselves organized. Yeah. We meet people like that, don't we? 
Okay, then um, through not giving gifts, one is poor, so being stingy, then, yeah, it ripens in terms of, it ripens as just as stealing does. I mean, stealing, we take others' possessions. Stinginess, we don't give our possessions. But the result is the same, that we get, you know, we're clinging on to something as ours. And so the result is poverty. Wrong livelihood results in getting tricked. Okay, so when we uh, do dirty tricks to, you know, in learning, earning our livelihood, uh, we lie, we hint, we bribe, um, you know, we, we cut corners, we don't declare things uh, as taxable that are supposed to be taxable, uh, we deduct um, personal things from the company, income tax, you know, all that kind of stuff, then, okay, that it results in IRS checking up what's going on. Um, but it also results in future lives of oneself getting tricked because we cheated somebody else, we overcharged them, or we gave them a defective good, you know, something we knew was defective, so we get cheated. Arrogance leads to a lowly station. So if we are arrogant and look down on people as less than, then in future lives, we will be in the lowly position. We will be the oppressed people. We will be the people who don't have rights and others will look down on us. So it's, it's quite interesting when you look at things going on in the world of one group persecuting another group. And then, you know, uh, in, in the future life, the people who were in group A, the persecuting group, wind up being in a group that's getting persecuted. Okay, they're not, they're not always the same group. Okay, and it's, but it's just that, yeah, you persecute, you get persecuted, you oppress, you get oppressed. Yeah. So when we look at some of the things going on in the world with the way people are depriving people, uh, well, even now, um, making it hard for them to vote, yeah, the whole Black Lives Matter movement where people are saying we want equality, yeah. So all of that, uh, you know, if we're the oppressor, then we will be born in a future life as the member of an oppressed group. Okay, arrogance leads to a lowly station. Jealousy brings about unattractive appearance. When a person's jealous, even in this life, do they have a pleasant expression on their face? No. When somebody's angry in this life, yeah, do they have a good expression? No. So it said that anger and jealousy, yeah, make one ugly in this life and then 
born uh, in a future life as somebody who is unattractive. Yeah, the next one, from anger comes a bad complexion. So the same thing, you know, when you're angry, your your complexion, your face is like meh. And so born like that. Stupidity comes from not questioning the whys. So you have the opportunity to learn instead of trying to learn by asking questions. You just accept things on blind faith or you're so egosensitive that you don't want to ask a question because you're afraid other people will think you're stupid. So you pass up opportunities to learn. Okay, so stupidity from not questioning the whys. That also makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. These are the effects when one is reborn as a human, but prior to all of them is a bad rebirth. Okay, so when we create an action with all four parts complete, or sometimes they talk, they describe it as three parts, but in any case, when all the parts are complete, yeah, then that action creates a rebirth. It creates a result similar to the cause in terms of our experience, a result similar to the cause in terms of our habit, and an environmental result. But first, uh, what ripens usually, not always, but usually, is the unfortunate rebirth. Okay. Such are wisely known to be the ripening or maturation results of these actions that are called non-virtue, the non-virtues. For all of the virtuous actions, these are the opposite effects. Yeah, so what Nagarjuna is saying is we may be talking a lot about non-virtue and the different factors that make it a complete action and what the result is. But uh, the same holds true for virtuous actions. Yeah, Just the opposite in terms of uh, the causes and the results. Okay, so here's the meditation to do with this. So reflect on your life noting your habitual actions and any strong karmas you may have done. One by one, consider what their ripening result, causally concordant result, and environmental result will be. So this is interesting to do in meditation, but to sit down and write it out too. It really acts... Uh, to help these things get, uh, these ideas to be firmly implanted in our mind. Be aware that through your choices and actions, you are creating the causes for your future. And have a sense of your, uh, of your life being a conditioned event, and you are the one creating the conditions. So our life is not fate, it's not predetermined and planned out, okay? It arises due to the causes and conditions uh, that 
we created over in many different lifetimes and many different situations. And it's always us, that's the agent doing the action, who experiences the result of our own actions. Okay, so uh, it's the mere I that is the agent creating karma and the mere I that is the experiencer of the results of that karma. There doesn't need to be a solid, unchanging person that goes from one life to the next that carries all the karmic seeds. Okay, But that's very much how um, the idea of a soul was invented by human beings because they had uh, some idea of karma, of actions bearing effects, but then what links the action to the effect. So they needed something to explain how that happens. And so the idea of a soul was created because then you had something that was unchanging that could go from one life to the next. Yeah, Because if it changed, then the agent of the action would not be the same as the experiencer of the result. Because these people wanted to think that, you know, there was some real essence to every person uh, that had to be exactly the same in order to transmit the karma and be the agent and the experiencer. But somebody was saying, you know, how does that happen? What carries the karma? But then you have to ask, well, even from, not not just even thinking from one life to the next, uh, from childhood to adulthood, who carries the karma? Because a child is very different than an adult. Yeah. So then again, you have to concretize everything. There's got to be some inherently existent soul that is in both the child and the adult that carries the karma. Mm -hmm. But actually, that theory brings about the opposite. Yeah, because if there is an inherently existent agent and experiencer, then the agent is frozen. Because if, if something is inherently existent, it doesn't change. Okay? If the agent doesn't change, then how could it be you know, Sam in one life and Martha in the next life. Yeah, there has to be change in the I or in the self. But if you concretize everything and say there's no change, then how do you account for it being, quote, quote, different people? Yeah. So it brings you that kind of problem.
Okay. Um, and th then this fourth thing of, of have the sense of your life being a conditioned event, I find that very helpful because then it, it takes the I out of it. It's not so much like, I'm in charge. I want this to happen, and I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to do this. But rather, everything that happens to me depends on so many causes and conditions. And some of them were created in previous lives. And some of the conditions are the conditions I find myself in in this lifetime. Yeah. So it really takes the I out of it because, you know, it's just causes and conditions. It's not me deciding what is going to happen in every moment and me making what I want happen in every moment. Yeah, because that's what makes us so frustrated, isn't it? How we get frustrated because we think that there's a real me who is you know, the agent who is going to make something happen in this life, right now, in fact, and it doesn't depend on any causes and conditions. It just depends on the strength of my will and the fact that I am always right and things should be the way I want. Okay? So it's the opposite of seeing things as they are, as being conditioned events, including ourselves, and that we don't have control over all the causes and conditions. Yeah, and so then we get angry, we get frustrated, we blame somebody else, we have a temper tantrum, yeah, because the controller cannot control what it wants to control. And it thinks it should be able to, doesn't it? Yeah? Doesn't it? I should be able to change the schedule. Because yes, the schedule is a conditioned event which means it depends on causes and conditions. So I am going to create the cause that changes the schedule to be what I want it to be. And I should be able to do that because I am determined and I am also right. And we all know that justice prevails. So if I'm right, I'm on the side of justice. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> yes, it changes, but under my guidance. Yeah? Yes? <laughs> I don't know exactly how to say that, but I've thought this two or three times during these teachings. So I don't know when this was, maybe 25 years ago. I just, and I've thought this a number of times, and I'm thinking as you've been teaching this that I've got a really wrong idea about this, but for some reason I decided that in my life certain things were kind of easy to a point. Like I, when I wanted to do something, 
you could get to a point or when I wanted to learn something or whatever it was, you could get to a point and then anything after that was just like clawing your way or like a, like you couldn't get anywhere. And it just seemed like this happened over and over and over again. And I have thought so many times like, well, when I learned about karma, I thought, okay, it's just like karmic. But sometimes I'm thinking like, Maybe I just get like thinking I should do it and I get so frustrated I can't make the thing happen and give up or I don't know what it is. It seems like the causes are, it doesn't even matter what you do. It's like there just get, comes to a point in something where you can't get any farther. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's because we didn't create the karmic cause for that event to happen. So even though we do everything right, to make that happen, it doesn't happen. Yeah, because the karmic cause for it to happen is missing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do. I do really think that it's pretty mind-blowing that what the karma that I'm creating right now will be experienced by a mere eye that will have absolutely no context of what this mere eye is experiencing now. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it on some level, like whatever happened to whoever I was in the past, the ripening that I'm experiencing, when I think about that, what I'm doing now is going to create the life of a mere eye in some future, I look sometimes and see the responsibility that comes along mm. with doing that mm -hmm. and how, like Kensar Jampatekshra says, don't throw this life, in, next life into a, an abyss by not using this life to make that one matter, whoever that will be, mm -hmm. lower realm, higher realm, formless realm. But the responsibility that sometimes comes in my mind on what we hold yeah. For this continuum and what they will experience due to our actions now. Yeah. It's a really kind of a humbling big thing to think right. about. And in one way, it seems like it's another person you're creating the cause for. But when you get to that point, that feeling of I will be the same feeling that you have now. Even though your concept of who you are in the world will be different because the identity you have is different because the environment and the body you have will be different. But just that feeling of I want happiness and not suffering will be the same. Yeah. Mm hmm one question online um, was going to ask, because I'm young and have cancer, does that mean I've done something horrible in a past life? It means that the cause of the suffering of cancer was, it's, it was a negative action, okay? But you're also listening to Dharma teachings. So that indicates that you created a lot of virtue in your previous life. And I assume that you're getting good medical care. You know, if you have a computer, then you probably live in a country where, you know, there's reasonable medical care. That is also a result of virtuous karma. 
So there's so many uh, results that you're experiencing right now. Some of them are due to non-virtue. Some of them are due to virtue. Yeah. So it's a really um, good way to, to think, to, to inspire ourselves, to really watch uh, our words and actions and, and deeds. Yeah. Someone else is asking, when reflecting on these negative causes and results in your life, what helps you go in the direction of virtue? rather than causing you to go into despair, guilt, and upset. Despair, guilt, and upset assume that you can't do anything to change the conditions. Yeah? It's like I can't do anything to change, so I'm just going to sit here and get depressed and do nothing. Yeah? If you, the whole thing we're talking about is conditioning. Yeah? What is conditioning? It's change. Yeah. Who creates the causes for how, you know, things are changing moment to moment automatically simply by the fact that they're conditioned things. Yeah. They're changing moment by moment. How they change, what they become, there we depending on our actions, we can guide things to this result or that result. So when you understand that your own actions create the results of that you yourself will experience, then you realize if you change your actions, you change your experiences. Yeah, if you understand that, then you see that there's absolutely no reason to be depressed and despair and feel guilty and dig yourself into a hole. Yeah? And that digging yourself into a hole like that is just stupidity. Yeah? And you have when you when you let your mind start taking you into digging that hole and then jumping into it, you've got to stop your mind and say, what I'm thinking is totally unreasonable. Things are changing moment to moment. I can create the causes for how I want things to be in the future. Now, of course, the time to influence how things are is at the causal stage, yeah? It's like if you go skiing, okay? This is a good, good example. If you go skiing, yeah? and you don't want to break your leg, then what do you do before you go skiing? You take skiing lessons. You learn how to ski. You get good equipment. You practice on small slopes. You go slowly and train again and again. So you create the cause through what you're doing so that when you join the Olympic team, you're not going to get hurt, you know, and crash into a tree or, you know, catapult to Mars or something. Yeah. So you have within your power the ability to, you know, make yourself into 
a reasonable skier, skier that can assess the danger of certain runs and make good choices and prepare for it. Okay, you have that ability. If you don't take that ability, because you are so eager to get out there because you just got all the new skiing equipment and you look really spiffy and you want to show off how spiffy you look to all the other people. Yeah, so you, so you dress up in your spiffy clothes and you take you the cable car or whatever it is to the top of the hill and you say, well, I'm just going to go down. It looks easy. I've watched these guys do it on TV a lot. Yeah. Then what's going to happen? You're going to crash and crash badly. Okay. So, you know, we can see within one lifetime that we have the ability to influence what we experience and you know, because karma goes from one life to the next, we have the ability to influence what we will experience in future lives too. Okay, but it, going back to the ski example, if you say, well, you know, I have to take ski lessons and I have to get good equipment and I have to do everything simple first, I don't want to do that. That's just stuff for babies, you know? And it's just like, anyway, ski lessons, they cost too much. And, and I just want to get out there and do it. Then you are so, yourself are responsible, you know, for breaking your leg. Don't blame the tree because you're the one who's injuring the tree. Okay. And, you know, and getting all depressed of, oh, it's so hard. I don't want to do it. Uh, uh, you know. Or you want to go up and, and do that and, uh, and somebody won't let you. Somebody says, how many ski lessons have you taken? And you go, oh, I haven't. And they say, well, sorry, you can't, you can't, you know, ski down this run. Oh, you're discriminating against me. You're mean. Well, look at the causes. Did we create the causes to be able to do what we wanted or not? Okay? So don't let yourself fall into that thing of self-pity and discouragement and it's no use because when you study karma and its effects, yeah, that, and you understand it properly, that brings you the opposite feeling to being, feeling fatalistic and depressed. It gives you a feeling of, you know, oh, I can do something, you know. The result may not come immediately, but it will come. So part of the problem may be that we want an immediate result. Well, we, you know, we got to change our mind if that's our way of thinking and we want immediate results, then that problem is our, our problem. Yeah, it's magical thinking. Okay.